anthropology. And uh, oftentimes it is contrasted, the view of biblical anthropology with worldly anthropology. Because as we think about the bias and the starting point, if you take an evolutionary standpoint, it becomes that man is the pinnacle. Mankind is the pinnacle of, of evolution. Everything has gotten better and better. But as we think about understanding from a biblical perspective, sure, there are good things about mankind, but also mankind has been marred by sin. And as we look at this morning, this study of anthropology, part of it will be even understanding that while men and women are different, there is going to be some elements as we look at of what is our starting point. And so let me just uh, begin with and uh, begin with prayer, and then uh, we'll open up and look a little bit at Genesis 1, uh, verse 26, 27, and then we'll also look at uh, Genesis 5, 1 through 2, and a little bit of other scriptures as well. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth it gives to us. Thank you that we can study it, read it. And Father, we pray and ask that the Holy Spirit might guide us and help our hearts to be sensitive to uh, your leading. And may we read it and our desire is to learn more about who you are and our position before you. And we praise you for the privilege we have to study, to learn more about your word and about you. And it is our desire to magnify you with our lives. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So as we think about uh, theology and even understanding here, first of all, man. And nowadays, if you use the term man, you know, it's, there is, what does that mean? Even distinction. But in the Hebrew, the word for man is actually Adam. Adam. And I'll, I'll use, the word, use the pronunciation Adam because you're familiar with that. But when we translate Adam, that's what we get is, is man. And God gives a definition for this word in two ways. First of all, it's used singularly as a name to distinguish. So Adam versus Eve. And then the distinguish between the two. But then also corporately as a term to refer to all the human race. All the human race is called Adam. And even in, um, as we'll look later, the difference between male and female, it's Adam male and Adam female. We often um, understand Adam for a proper name. So we think of Adam, um, famous Adams, you know, Adam Ant, or I don't know, you pick an Adam. And so we think of the name personally, but it's Adam is the Hebrew word for man. So it's actually Adam female, Adam, or excuse me, Adam male, and then Adam female, which we don't always understand that. And so starting point. So if we were to even look at in chapter 5, verses 1, specifically it uses to look at man or Adam to refer to all of mankind. And so three questions we look at. Why did God create man or mankind? And we'll use the term man um, and I'll try to distinguish between that. It's not a, a sexist term to say that I'm only speaking to men or males. But also, you know, the Bible uses that term. So also, what is the difference between likeness and image? As we understand, going through a little bit there. And then also, what is the difference between male and female? Because in society today, oh, there's no difference, right? And, you know, raise them up, but that is not necessarily true. The Bible gives us a background and a basis of why there is a difference. And and so let's look at these. First of all, number one, as we go through, 
Why did God create man? Adam. He did not need fellowship. He did not need any reason to create mankind. But as we understand, even in Genesis 1, if we were to look at 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, understand the divine trinity, even in that, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the things, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created Man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I know a lot of Bibles want to take out and uh, neuter and general, even in that, but it's for understanding that. And specifically, as we understand mankind, why did God create mankind? And there is a difference as we see plants, animals, and the creation of the world. And first and foremost, we're going to look at Isaiah 43 because when we look at a study here, it's important that as we look at comprehensively how it fits within the Word of God. So let's go to Isaiah. Hold your spot. Turn to Isaiah. I always tell people, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible, open to the middle. You'll either get to Psalms or usually Isaiah, depending on how many uh, notes that you have. But Isaiah, and we're going to go to chapter 43. And the first thing we see is, for his glory. Isaiah 43, and allow, follow along as I read it, verses 1 through 7. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And here's the key in verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created, for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Understanding what is the glory of God. The challenge is, is the starting point. If we believe that God has created mankind, man, it is for his glory. God has created male and female, men and women, for his glory. Adam, it says, that all of mankind. And for his praise. And understanding glory is to bring glory, sometimes even understanding recognition. There are things that, as we look at glory, what does that mean? You know, to bring glory, lauds, attention. To recognize God for who he is. And praise, the element of praise, when we sing, when we talk about God. Um, maybe you've done something or you've achieved uh, an award or you have received recognition for what you have done. Part of praise, the element of praise is really telling God who he is and giving that back to him, saying, hey, God, you have done this. When we say, oh, you know, prayer and praise. But praise becomes part of an important element of a morning service. And praise is recognized. Every part of the element of the morning service is praise. When we do communion, that is praise to the Lord. When we give an offering, that is praise because we recognize what he's done. When we sing, that is praise. That, it's not just during the morning singing time that that's praise. You know, they say, oh, that's the praise and worship. 
Even coming to church, part of that is giving praise because you are recognizing who God is and that he is a priority in your life. And in Psalm 148, if you want to turn to Psalm 148, allow me to read that. In Psalm 148. Just take a moment here, and here it is. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him at, in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heavens, heavens of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He also established them forever and ever, and made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and all the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all his hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes of all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heavens, and he has exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all the saints of the children of Israel, a people near him. Praise the Lord. God does not get sick of receiving praise. Now, if we were to take one of you, you know, bring you up and just say, oh, you know, you are a great person. We love you. You know, some of you might be narcissistic and say, oh, you know, I, I appreciate it all. You know, keep giving it to me. You know, but after a while, I might get old. But to understand God wants our praise and to say that back and he doesn't get tired of hearing it. And for us, it's a constant reminder of what he's done in our life. Even in Psalms, there is descriptive praise and declarative praise. God, you are this. God, you are holy. You are just. You are righteous. But also there's the um, declaring what he's done. God, you have preserved your people. You have created this universe. And as we look at even all of creation, the design understanding the beauty, the magnitude. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, a good majority of you. And, you know, I used to think, oh, it's a big hole in the ground. But, you know, I, I keep leading people in different things, and it's always just understanding what it is. It is a ma majestic. You know, if you've ever gone camping, we talked about camping in Bible class. Some of you aren't campers. You know, but if you've been there and just on a dark night and looked at the sky, and you feel so insignificant, but you see the wonders of the sky and the stars. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, our God is an awesome God. And to recognize that. And it, it causes us to bring forth praise because it puts us in our position. And that's where praise and understanding. And God has created Adam, Adam ma male and female, each of us, for his praise. And even it's not to lift up our own self-esteem, but it's to recognize that God is God. And we can glorify him through our words, through our actions, and as we learn more about him. But what is the difference? Question number two, what is the difference between likeness and image? As we go through likeness of image, uh, there's some challenges here because image of God is only found four times in the Old Testament. The word is salem, and it means image. And the, the Bible does not necessarily define the term. Uh, there are things even in studying, I remember in seminary, you know, you look at the difference between in the image of God with the rest of creation. You know, 
Humanly speaking, we have a heightened intellect, a heightened emotion, a heightened will from other animals. Some say, oh, you know, you look, you're like a chimpanzee or you're like a cat, you know, different ones. But there's a difference, even in the emotional state. But understanding is that it is only humans that have the opportunity to be able to have a relationship with God. And it says here that every person bears the image of God. As we read in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we see here the image of God. That every person bears the image of God, made in the image of God. And this isn't referring to reputation. This isn't referring to, oh, this... Um, um, is like a mark, but understanding is male and female, each person possesses it equally. And the emphasis is not upon what it is, but in totality that every person has it. And it cannot be separated into mental, physical, or spiritual characteristic. You know, like as you think about, oh, you know what, your mind, you really have the image of God in your mind, or you really look like the image of God, or whether it be physical, spiritually, or, or understanding these characteristics. It cannot be divided into areas of our life. We like to compartmentalize, you know. And so the understanding is that that's not it. It's the comprehensiveness of the definition and that each person has it in totality. Humanly speaking, we think as we exist as body and soul, we possess the breath of life from God. Breathe into man, the breath of life. Our life comes from God, and He sustains us. And as we understand here, our identification is found in God. And so the starting point is God, even in our lives as individual. And it places an equal value on every human being. One of the challenges is that, humanly speaking, we often think, oh, self-esteem, or because we're divided into categories, we're divided into age groups, we're divided generationally, we're divided into um, cultures, we're divided into countries, we're divided into ethnic, and as they say, race, but really there's only one race, and as we understand, even we're divided into rich, poor, economically, spiritually, physically, you know, think about it, in, in every area of our life, and Oftentimes we come down to, really, we're just a consumer and what you buy. That's what, whether it be society, governments, even uh, marketing, how we're divided into. I was reading a book, even t trying to come down to logistics of, okay, you know, trying to, uh, people who sell, you know, you, they try to find out everything about you so that they can market it. I mean, even in your own household, you know, have you ever been there, you know, you say, oh, I think I'd, I'd be interested in getting some of this, you know, maybe more cat food, or, you know, I'm thinking about going on a trip. Then all of a sudden, you know, whether it be someone, you see an advertisement on Amazon or somewhere else, say, hey, you know, we're selling this. It's like, wait a second, you know. But it's not necessarily the division. And here, the emphasis upon the image of God is that every person has the image of God. Now, how does that affect us? What that means that is before God, there is no lesser importance. There is value in human life. That's why biblically we understand that the value of life, that every unborn baby is valuable before God because that's a human life. Whether that person who is on a ventilator, whether that person generationally, an older person, younger person, whatever, understanding is there is value. If they're homeless, you know, it is not that they're less of a person. 
there is still value in human life because they are made in the image of God. And that's because as we understand the value and the worth is not found in ourselves, worth is not found in our abilities, our possessions, or our understanding of our position, but our understanding of our position before God. What that means is, first of all, from a human perspective, so allow me to take the human perspective, it means that God cares about each one of us. Sometimes there's going to be people smarter than you. Sometimes there's going to be people better looking than you. Sometimes there's going to be people that, you know, are able, have more abilities than you. But yet, you are made in the image of God. And it doesn't say, you know, it, I'm not here to assuage your, con- um, your conscience or make you feel good, but it's to understand your position before God. God does care about you and your soul, and he wants, desires a personal relationship with each one of us. Secondly, if we were to flip it around from God's perspective, it means that as a value, because you possess the image of God, we turn to our likeness of God. And our likeness to God, you can glorify God. And the likeness can vary as we understand or going through here, the word demut can be viewed as capacity to represent. And in studying this out, trying to look at different areas, in Ezekiel 1 to 10, Ezekiel views a theophany of God. And all, he doesn't view, he doesn't understand everything, but it's a likeness. And when an artist paints a picture, I don't know if you've ever had, they used to, in the Renaissance and other times, you know, those who are wealthy would um, commission and, oh, I want to make a, commission a painting of someone, usually a regal or well-off, and, you know, you have a picture. Or maybe in England, they would have family, generation to generation to generation, trace the lineage. You have different individuals who are represented in the pictures. It is a likeness of them. If you've ever had a, um, maybe you've gone to a different country or, you know, you've had the caricatures or people make a picture of you and they just emphasize usually your prominent features. But it's simply a likeness. It is not you. It is a likeness. And when we, it reminds us of someone else or it is often expressed that they have a certain likeness to another individual. Has anyone ever come up to you and said, you know, you remind me of someone, or are you this person, the likeness? Or you look like uh, so-and-so, you know, hey, you know. Um, they had a, a picture of someone. I know at basketball games, sometimes they always have, there's an individual who, who looks like someone else. And uh, they have the likeness, but it's often used in the context of similarity, how you're similar to someone else. If you are a, um, maybe you are similar to your parents or your, you might have similar features to your mother or your father or, or similar relatives. But each human being bears the capacity to honor and glorify God. However, sin and pride can lead to a marring of the likeness of God in a person's life. And as a painting can be distorted or a faint detection of likeness can be seen in outline as a shadow. So if, if we were to do, if you've ever seen shadow puppets or maybe, you know, someone's uh, likeness behind uh, the, as far as a shadow. So if I were to stand in the light and you can kind of see a little bit of the face and you could sometimes figure it out. You could do a game like, okay, whose, whose picture is that in the shadow? There was a show where you would, it would often show the shadow and then the person would come. Do you remember that? Um, what, do you remember the show? I think it was, was it Alfred Hitchcock? Would often show the shadow first and they would come out and, you know, it recognizes the face. But that is where the likeness, it was a likeness and you become familiar with that. And some just 
just are, are more gravitate toward the likeness. But understanding our likeness to God and the image of God, that we bear the mark of the image of God, but also our likeness. How are we like God and becoming like God? And part of it is to understand and know about who God is. And we remember that it is both male and female who can portray this likeness. And so as we think about likeness versus image, I think it's an important concept because as we think about varying to be like God. But finally, let's look at the third question is, what is the difference between male and female, especially with in the image of God viewed? Well, first of all, there is a distinction. And the distinction between male and female. And this is male Adam and female Adam. That's literally what it says. And as we look here, even going to Mark 10.6, and we understand even as often quoted during a wedding or a marriage, Mark 10.6, it says, and from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And we can go on a little bit, I'll save that spot, but male and female, there is a distinction. And I know that uh, society, and as we think about it, there is just this push toward many different genders. But as we look at it biblically, first of all, the distinction, there is a distinction. Male and female is distinct from the species of plants and animals. I was looking at an article and there was someone who identified as a wolf. Went from male to female, now they identify as a wolf. Well, you can identify as anything you want, but it doesn't necessarily make you a wolf. And male and female is distinct from the species of plants. And as we look categorically in Genesis, it says, after their own kind, after their own kind, species going through. Um, if you've ever taken biology, you understand the mnemonic. And um, forgive it because um, I was a kid and... And the mnemonic, it, it goes, uh, this is how I remember, kingdom. Uh, kings play chess on fat girls' stomachs. It's kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. It's just what, at that time when I was a kid. But you go through and you remember that class and order. But guess what? What it means is that only plants, certain plants are going to follow after certain plants. Plants aren't going to all of a sudden become an animal, going through that, but everything after their own kind. And what happens as we look at it, it comes to the creation of Adam, male and female. All of a sudden, there's different. It says that there is going to be a, division, a distinction of now it is male and female. It says in verse 27, so God created man, Adam, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so there is a distinction. But also, male and female are distinct sexually. The text reads that God created a male Adam and a female Adam. There is a difference biologically. Um, and while there's attempts to change anatomically, only a female will be able to bear children. And this distinction, as we see, is part of the image of God. Male and female are distinct from one another. As much as society will try to say, well, there is no difference. doesn't matter where you shop. Doesn't, you know, you need to make everything unisex. But there are numerous studies looking at brainwaves, genetics, etc., that clearly provide evidence 
between a male and a female. There are distinctions. And, you know, those are okay because it doesn't matter because you're made in the image of God, and that is good. Let me just, uh, I'm going to quote a, um, a little bit from a book. It's called Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps by Ellen and Barbara Pease. I know you can relate to that, but it, it talks about this distinction. They've done quite a few studies, and, but let me just read this. It says, our biology hasn't changed much. Boys want to play with things. Girls want to interact with people. Uh, boys want to control, dominate, and reach the top, but girls are more concerned with morality, relationships, and people. Women are still a minority in big businesses and the political arena, but not because of male oppression. It's just that women are not interested in those things. Despite the best intentions of equal opportunity employers, boys still stubbornly go into jobs with a mechanical and spatial bias, and girls seem compelled to seek jobs seeking involving human interaction. Israeli kibbutzim have for years tried to remove the sex stereotyping of boys and girls. Children's clothes, shoes, hairstyles, and lifestyles were fashioned on one sexless neutral model. Boys were encouraged to play with dolls, sew, knit, cook, and clean, and girls were motivated to play football, climb trees, and play darts. The idea of the kibbutz was to have a sexually neutral society in which there were no rigid formula for each sex and each member had equal opportunity and equal responsibility within the group. Sexist language and phrases like big boys don't cry and little girls don't play in the dirt were removed from the language and kibbutzniks claimed that they could demonstrate a complete interchangeability of roles between the sexes. So what happened? After 90 years of kibbutzim, studies have shown that boys in the kibbutz constantly display aggressive and disobedient behavior, form power groups, fight among themselves, form unwritten hierarchies, and do quote-unquote deals. While girls cooperate with each other, avoid conflicts, act affectionately, make friends, and share with one another. Given a free hand to choose their own school courses and subjects, each opted for sex-specific courses, with boys studying physics, engineering, sports, and girls becoming teachers, counselors, nurses, and personnel managers. Their biology directed them to pursuits and occupations that fitted the wiring of their brains. Studies of neutrally reared children in those societies show the removal of the mother-child bond does not reduce the sex differences or preferences in children. Rather, it creates a generation of children who feel neglected and confused and are likely to grow into screwed-up adults. Just so you know, this is not written from a Christian perspective. In fact, the um, authors are actually evolutionists. But it's interesting. You can learn a lot about that. And my point in understanding and my point in expressing is that, that there is a distinction. And God created us that way, and that is good. Trust me, I mean, f I'm sure females are glad, you know, oh, men, how do you deal with them? Women, how do you deal with them, you know? But also, as we also look at, not only is there the distinction, but also responsibility. The responsibility that was given in Genesis is procreation, be fruitful, multiply, Reproduction is a blessing and a gift from God. And marriage was established for the reproduction of the human race. But also rule. To rule. And that isn't to lord over each one. But they were to exercise dominion and subdue. And it refers to the, refers to the rest of creation. It is interesting that both, to note that both animals and humans were vegetarians before. And so as they were thinking about, as we look at the management or the stewardship, work, take responsibility, stewardship, finance, those are all characteristics of understanding of mankind that they have. And I think about farmers. 
because agrarian is throughout the, the Bible. And, and so if you've ever grown up on a farm or worked on a farm or lived on a farm, how many of you grew up on a farm or understand? Just a few. You know, that doesn't happen much anymore because especially living in an urban area, society. And how many would, would want to own a farm? Okay, some of you are out of your minds. Good. <laughs> I just say that because it's just, you know, the, the challenge of being a farmer, you know, there are, there are benefits of owning and being on a farm. But guess what? There are crops and animals. And maybe you think, well, I would just ha- like to have a little farm. But when I think of farm, there's crops and animals. And so your schedule is always dictated, first of all, by the season, and then also by the needs of the animals. And, but yet, as we're understanding, in the responsibility of humankind, that is, it's not necessary to take care, and we shouldn't use the term Mother Earth. We should talk about Earth, the creation, but there is a responsibility that we have in each of our parts, but things are going to get worse. And as we see even in the seasons and in the weather. But to rule and take care, ownership, and that is part of responsibility. Whatever capacity you have in your lives, guess what? You have responsibilities. We can't get away from that. And that's the hard part because, humanly speaking, we just don't want to take any responsibility. I mean, think about it. I don't want to take responsibility for my actions. If I don't have to take responsibility for my actions then I can get away. You know, if I steal or do something wrong and, I, and I'm not going to be held accountable for it, then guess what? They are continue, going to continue on and be involved in that behavior. And even as we talked about it in our, in our government legally. But the biblically, it is a mandate to understand in ruling there is a responsibility that we have even before God, but also to one another. And then, also, we want to see in relationship. And that reflects the Godhead because as we think about in the relationship, the divine intimacy, in 1 Samuel 1 and 2, we see the story of Hannah. And Hannah had a relationship with God. She praised him, and, and even understanding Eli didn't understand. Here she is praying, and her lips are moving, and he thinks that she is full of new wine. But God answered and heard her prayer. But God answers Daniel's prayer as well. It is not limited by a male or a female or one who is um, in, a, in a position of spiritual authority. Only they have access. In the Bible, it was different. We understand that. As a priest, the priest directionally took the confessions, sins, and offered sacrifices up to God. But a prophet gave the message of God and delivered it to the people. And in Jesus Christ and the tearing of the veil, we have prophet, priest, and even king. And to understand that role, that we have direct access to God the Father through the person of Jesus Christ. And that is a blessing that we can pray to him. We can confess our sins directly to God. We can go straight to the source. And that divine intimacy, as we understand about who that is, obviously, the hard part about intimacy is vulnerability, exposure. And God knows everything. The word has been distorted by our language, but simply refers to a close and personal relationship between two individuals. God has created man, male and female in the image of God and has 
the, we have the capacity to relate to, to understand and communicate with our creator God. Granted, there's some things that we aren't going to know about God. God isn't going to tell you what is going to happen tomorrow. God is not going to tell you what's going to happen in the future specifically with you. Where are you going to go to school? Who are you going to go to marry? If you'll have enough money for anything. What the lottery tickets are. I'm sorry. God's not going to do those things. But both men and women are capable of the ability to express and comprehend God in a, in a personal relationship. That is what is so wonderful, to understand the intimacy to who God is. His presence. It's not like we have to go to a tabernacle or a temple to understand the presence of God. Even when you read the Word of God, to understand His communication directly to us. Sometimes intimacy is scary because, God, you know what I've done. No one knows you better than God. So it's not like you can hide things from God. You know, as a little child, you know. You know, did you eat that cake? You know, he's got chocolate all over his face. No, I didn't at all, you know. Actually, your sins will find you out. But before God, we are exposed and to recognize that. But yet, he desires that relationship with us. And then, humanly speaking, intimacy. There are close friends and family members who love you and understand you. Generally speaking, this comes more naturally to females than males because they are more relationally oriented. You know, able to express their feelings more deeply. And men are not used to being vulnerable. They, let alone communicate their feelings to others. You know, you ask a man, how are you doing? Good. You know, okay. You know, the, the expressionless, you know, when they're happy, sad. It's kind of like the, the dogs, you know, sometimes. You know, tell a dog, is the dog happy? Is the dog excited? You know, is the dog sad? You know, it doesn't change. But as we think about it, men are not used to being vulnerable. But when we understand the difference between male and females, it helps us communicate with one another. But to also understand that the glory that we can bring to God through our personal relationships. Did you know that we can glorify God through our personal relationships? While this is often emphasized in marriage, it relates to family friends, at work, our innate desire is often to receive unconditional love. That's the hard part about intimacy because intimacy, we want unconditional love from someone, to love us as we are. We're messy people. We have backgrounds. We, have, we make mistakes. But to understand that you know, when you are accepted in that um, environment, there is a great opportunity for as we see before God, forgiveness, love, mercy, grace. And a trait that can only be expressed with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because with the help of the Holy Spirit, we're able to forgive someone who maybe has wronged you or hurt you deeply. It is only through the help of the Holy Spirit where you're able to find forgiveness in your soul or, for, or to be able to find acceptance. And oftentimes, it's the acceptance of ourselves. Maybe there's things that we've done in our lives that we've done that you, we don't forgive ourselves. But to know that God can forgive you, and when someone else demonstrates that, that is a picture of Christ. And therefore, we can move forward because you have the impact and influence to be able to glorify God through that. And that is unnatural. We're emotional people. We want justice. We want to see things a certain way. But yet it's only through the power of Christ working in us that we can display through our human relationships a picture of Christ. And I want you to understand that it is through the power of Christ that these things occur. 
Because it's interesting. Sometimes in our lives, in our relationships, we think, we believe as a Christian, God can create this universe. Do you believe God created this universe? Do you believe that God had Jesus Christ raised from the dead? Do you believe that he brought people across the Red Sea? But do you believe that God can help you get a new job? That he can provide for your finances? That he can help fix your relationships? Or maybe to understand that he's in control of your relationships. That he can heal the hurts that are in your heart. And that's where intimacy, understanding, you know, it begins with the divine intimacy and then it's demonstrated or it is lived out through our relationships because sometimes we act without thinking. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, forgiveness and reconciliation remind us that our human weaknesses and opportunities to glorify God through our personal relationships. And then closing, understanding that it is a sin that has affected each member of the human race. That is the element that we forget about. Because all mankind has sinned and has affected our capability to be like God and to glorify Him. When we place our faith and understanding in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that relationship. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when you came to Christ, it wasn't just place your faith in them. It wasn't like, okay, God, I'm ready to do whatever you want, and um, you know you know everything. It is like a spiritual journey as we go on. But the desire is to go toward Christ, to move toward God. And the danger is sometimes we're like wanderers, the wanderers. You know, sometimes the path that we take leads us this direction or that direction. And sometimes we have to go over mountains or we go through valleys or we go through deserts. But the key is understanding is that where we are headed, are you headed the right direction? And it's a process. Because as we go through, and even understanding intimacy, there's some times where you will feel very close to God. But there's also times you're going to feel far away. There's times where you wake up and you feel like, you're going to think, I don't even feel like a Christian. Or alone, or hurt. But then there's times that you're going to feel triumphant, like, oh, maybe today's the day the Lord's going to return and we're going out of here. Or maybe today's the day that, you know what, um, our friend comes to Christ. Yes. And when we place our faith and understanding in the person work of Jesus Christ, read his word with a humble spirit, we can live with the knowledge that God can be glorified through us despite our weaknesses. You know, Satan would have us just dwell on all our weaknesses. You can't do anything. You're too young. You're too old. You're too weak. You're too strong. You're too selfish. You're too this. But to understand that, guess what? If you don't have one friend in your life, even in the song, you have God. And it's not how many friends you have or how many likes you have. It's about who is your friend. Despite our weaknesses. And the, just want to leave with you. May God be glorified in your lives today. And so that's the question. How are you allowing God to glorify you to others? How is God allowing you to glorify him through others? Through your work? Through your lives? Through your job? And as we talked about, what was the first thing as we under? How do we understand? For his glory, for his praise. To point others to Christ. To let them know who Christ is. What is he doing in your life? Communicate it with others. Share that. And I truly believe that God can use each one of us. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, 
I thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. Father, the hard part is sometimes it's not always easy. When you are working to transform us, we aren't always easy patients. We don't want to be certain things you to remove surgically things from our lives. Sometimes you want to transform us and change us. Sometimes it hurts. But Lord, I pray that uh, we might recognize that while there may be things removed or added, God, in the future, there is going to be the opportunity that maybe we will be able to bless someone, to encourage someone, to be used by you. We don't know why things occur in our lives, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that it is from you. Help us to praise you. Help us to put you first above all. Lord, I just pray that you would permit us to be obedient, to be able to see through the work of others a picture of who you are, Lord, I'm sure that each one of us could say, you know what, there is someone in our lives in the past or even in the present that is a picture of Christ. But Lord, as Paul said, you know, look to me as I look to Christ. May our, our spirituality, may our relationship with you not de- be dependent upon how other people live because I'll be honest, humanly speaking, we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. And that's where the elements of forgiveness, of love, of understanding that To be Christ-like means that we follow Christ's example. And so I, I ask that you would help us to respond in a way which will honor you. When we mess up, as even David, to recognize that and to turn and to commit to seek forgiveness and repentance. And when things are going well, as Solomon at the ready to dedicate the temple, He prays you for the work even in his father's life, but also to be able to be part of that. And even in leading his people to be given a gift of saying, how can, what gift would you receive from God? He asked for wisdom. I can be sure that most of us would be asking for other things. But Lord, we, are, we just ask that you would help us to have wisdom, to have knowledge, to to the strength and fortitude to be able to behave or respond in a way to our circumstances, to people that would be loving and kind, that would reflect who you are. Help individually us to get out of the way, but Lord, help us to to so reflect Christ in our lives that uh, they see you magnified. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for for how you care for us. And I ask that you would teach us to glorify you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.